Carrie, would you pray for our time and pray for true freedom and fellowship?
Jesus, that God, it is your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. We thank you for the parable of the prodigal son, Lord, and the hope that it gives us. So like the prodigal son, we all have gone our own way. I love the hope that's within the story that when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, when he recognized God, that he was at the end of himself. He saw the errors in his ways. He recognized himself as a sinner. That he knew ultimately God where he could find redemption and comfort and hope and that was back in the father's house I love the picture father that we see of the father running and embracing him and restoring him father that's what you do for everyone that turns to you God you don't shun us you You don't stiff arm us, but God, you embrace us and you restore us. And you give us such hope that the hope that is found in Christ will never disappoint us. So Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the opportunity just to gather this day, Lord, and open your word and just be encouraged, Father. I pray, God, that we would fix our eyes upon you, Lord. That we would just come, Father, in full submission to your leading. And that you would have your way. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first star for this week, repentance, or for this year. We have three R's that have been encouraging us each week since January. Repentance, resolve, and to release repentance again we're going to focus on the action of repenting sincere regret or remorse some scriptures i've shared with us first john 1 9 if we confess our sin he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness acts 3 19 repent then and turn to god so that your sins might be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 
2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Joel 2, verse 13, Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And He relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel 18, verse 32, For the Lord says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 through 11, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. These scriptures in which I've been encouraging us to encourage us to mature, to grow in our faith as Christians. It's an ongoing process. I keep encouraging us. It's just not a one-time prayer, but it's an ongoing process of sanctification, of submitting ourselves to His leading to his authority and its freedom. The Christian life is not a burdensome life. It's not a life list of rules and laws and do's and don'ts. No, it's a life found in Christ and it's one that liberates us, doesn't burden us. Your Christian life should not be a burden to you. And if it is, then what it's become is religious. Religion burdens you, but Christ frees you. And we have to understand the tactics of the enemy. I keep encouraging as we are waking up behind enemy lines each and every single day. And if you are not actively growing in your faith, if you're not actively seeking Christ, if you've never come to Christ, it's time to come to Christ. It's time to submit to his rules, submit to his authority. And in that submission, again, it's not a forced Submission. No, it's one that liberates you. It, one, it is one that frees you from the past, from the wounds, from the grip of the enemy and the flesh and the world. The enemy will love nothing more than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The flesh will love nothing more than to drag you to death. The world will love nothing more to influence you, to turn you from the only one that can redeem you, that can save you, your creator. He knows you. He's purposed you. He's planned you. And I keep encouraging us, you all. God, there's no error found in God. The error is found in the created. The error is found in us. We're the ones stiff-arming him. But the enemy comes in. And the, and the Bible tells us that, that listen, he, 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 is, he, he schemes. He, he, he's not greater than our God. But listen, he is a, like a lion seeking to devour those who will get captivated by his roar. And I keep encouraging you that the roar should not paralyze you. Even a lion itself in the jungle, if the prey knows that all the lion has is a roar and the prey kept running, the lion wouldn't chase them. The reason why the lion is victorious is because he roars. And when he roars, it paralyzes his prey and then he pounces on it. And so it is in the spiritual realm. 
But Ephesians 6 is very clear. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Our problems are not the others. Our problems is the enemy. It's the rulers. It's the principalities in the air and the darkness. And as Christians, as you are born again, you are born again of a new nature. It is one of the Spirit. It is one that now you have been born again with the understanding that you are now reconciled back to your Creator. Romans 5.1 says, Now therefore you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. And when you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in you to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, to comfort you, to teach you. This life in Christ is not, cannot be lived in the flesh. It cannot be lived in your own strength, in your own doing. It will never work. And so many of us try so hard, so hard to be a good Christian, so hard to do things right. We, we keep things inside lest anyone finds out what we're thinking and what we're going through and what we're doing. We hide, we, we, we retreat, and that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're to be exposing the fruitless deeds of the darkness. You're to understand, wait a minute, <laughs> greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And God has gifted us, the church, the fellowship of believers, that we come together. There's no one greater than anyone. We're all at the same place. Submitting ourselves to Christ and to each other. Learning what it means to love, to care, to gather together, to encourage, to edify, to build up. Because we understand we're in a war. We're waking up each and every single day, and I keep repeating myself behind enemy lines. And so with that knowledge, what are you doing? And the first R, repentance, is so vital. Every day, taking thoughts captive and bringing them into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? How is that active in your life? That's why it's vital that you're being discipled, that, that your Christian life is just not a life that's just hearing the words, but it's actually doing the word. It's the living word within you. Trust me, I know what it's like to be enslaved and in bondage to everything and anything that's out there. But the liberating, the liberation came when I fully surrendered to Christ. And even after that point, the first few years, many years of my walk with Christ were, were the worst years I've lived on this earth. How can that be? <laughs> Because every force of darkness was out there to try to captivate me, to draw me back. I remember what it was like crawling up and laying in a corner. All I could do was rock back and forth for days, just saying Jesus, just saying Jesus. That's all I knew to say. I had no Christian friends. I had no churches to go to. In fact, the ones I tried to reach out to, I wasn't accepted. I was told to leave. But I knew that God himself began something in me. I wasn't looking for him. You weren't looking for him. I keep reminding you, your faith in Christ, your, your desire to know him, your desire just to even to show up is not of your own doing. It's Christ that does this within us. He first loved us in and of ourselves. We wouldn't love him. We would never get up one day and say, today I'll go to church or today I'll follow Christ. No, that is not any of our doing. That's Christ, that's Christ doing it within us through his Holy Spirit, drawing us to himself. Because it is his desire that none should perish. So to put in application the word of God, when you hear these scriptures on repentance, and even when the word of God says he wants to give you that time of refreshing, he wants to lift the burden off of you. 
He wants to take the yoke that has been placed upon you and He wants to shatter it. He wants you to be able to stand upright amongst a crooked and wicked and perverse generation. He wants you to know what it truly is to live and live life to the fullest. When I remember the times in my darkened days, even as a Christian, dealing with such craziness going on up here, and then finding the freedom that is in Christ once I begin to expose everything. You don't have to act on every thought. The Bible says, as a man thinks, as a woman thinks, so she goes. So he goes. Your thoughts don't have to define you unless you allow them. And that's why it's vital to learn to take every thought captive. That's why it's vital to grow and to allow your roots to go down into Christ and that you begin to love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. And listen, y'all, it is not easy behind enemy lines. It's not. The enemy is not going to stop. But the hope that we have, again, is He's not greater than our God. And the Bible tells us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We've already won because Christ has won. And so we don't get fixated and focused on the darkness because we've been liberated by the light. So now we're called to go and to be the light. We're called to go to share the truth. We're called to go to live differently. We're called to go to uphold a standard for ourselves first before we can even go out and offer it to anyone else. In the beginning of this week, as I was praying and preparing for this time together, I began to write down, I began to think through the tactics of warfare. See, everything that the enemy does, it's opposite of what the Lord has done. When we think of the word love, how the enemy uses love to deceive many people and what love is. <laughs> and so the world <laughs> has, a, has a definition of what love looks like and how it moves. It, it, it tries to draw people together. It tries to draw groups of people together. It tries to draw everyone together and they raise up love. But, the, but their definition and their purpose and really what love is isn't what love is at all. You see, God is love. Just think about that. God is love. So the enemy will love nothing more than to shatter that truth about God and about love. He will love nothing more than to pervert it and to distort it and even to use it and then hold it against others. It's fascinating. Just look at all the stuff that's going around. Look at the earth. Look at the condition of, of, of society. And yet, like I've said, all these groups are coming together and they're trying to promote love. But in reality, it's their own agenda. It's their own desire. There's no unity in it. You see, God is love. And perfect love drives out all fear. Like, see, when you really know your God, and that's something I've been trying to really encourage us this year, know your God, because when you know God, nothing and nothing and no one can get in the way of the transforming power that is coming from you because of Him. The problem is, is that many Christians don't know God. 
And so when teachings come along, when desires flare up, when insecurities abound, when temptation comes a calling, we crumble. And we crumble quickly. And we ought not to. You ought to know your God. And that's, again, what I keep encouraging because, listen, again, there's no error in God. And I've been challenging all of you, if you're still wrestling with the fact that there is error in God, I've challenged you to write them down and let's sit down together and open the word and let's begin to really understand who God is. He's not this bad, horrible God. No, God is love. His desires that none shall perish. God is just. God is right. God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. He's slow to anger. He's a God that redeems. But he's also a God of wrath. And so we can't just take what we like about God and create our God, because that's what mankind has been doing from the beginning. But all along, what is God's purpose? That he will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. See, there's hope that is found in him. That's why it's so vital that you know him. He's not stiff-arming you. And you say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. He knows, and he still yet loves you. He said, the Bible says that he loved us, yet though we're in complete rebellion towards him. Jesus came, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like Jesus came into the world knowing the world would hate him. And that's why he looks at his followers and says, consider the cost. Before you call, before you come after me, before you call, take up your cross and to follow me, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. I mean, we just have to look at Jesus. He is the example, the expression of love. Don't look at the world's definition. Don't look at what the world is screaming love is. Look at Christ, his love. He came to seek and to save the lost, knowing yet that the very ones that he created would crucify him, would reject him, would deny him, would spit upon him, would tear his skin off of his body, and then nail him to a cross. All for what? For love, you all. No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, listen, they're going to hate you because they hate me. And we've already read in the Bible, why do people hate Jesus? Because he exposes evil. The darkness does not like the light. But we are to be the children of light as we studied last week. There's a way in which we can live. There's a way that we can embrace hope and truth. There's a way that we can honor Christ, even in a generation that's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. But I keep encouraging you, don't let the darkness thwart the plans of what God has for you. Because you were purposed for this generation. Just think of all the hell you've gone through. Think of everything that the enemy has thrown at you to knock you out. And yet you're still here. You're still here. There's a purpose and a plan that God purposed you for such a time as this. You were meant for this generation. You were meant for this chaos. You were meant for all of the junk that we're seeing, not just here in our little community, but throughout the earth. Have you opened up your eyes and see what's happening? 
It's at a biblical scale. <laughs> I told you before, if you've never trusted in God, if you never believed in God, just open up your eyes because there's no other spiritual book <laughs> written <laughs> that has exposed everything that is happening. The Word of God is the living Word of God. Men penned it, but God inspired it. So we have to understand, wait, we have to wake up. We have to become conscious to the spiritual realm. We have to understand, wait a minute, God is the creator. We have to know our God so that we understand what it means to surrender to his authority, to trust in him, to hope in him, to know him intimately, that you can walk with him daily, that you don't have to cave in to everything that is presented to you. That you don't have to feel bad and play that weird, oh, I'm a bad Christian game and mindset that a lot of us get trapped up in, always feeling shameful and guilty and condemning. No. You recognize that that's a tactic of the enemy. You already recognize, wait a minute, I've been liberated because of Christ. It's not about me. And we're called to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. Each and every single day, things are going to be presented to you. What you choose is what you'll become. And if you choose to remain in bondage, that's what you're choosing. I chose that for many years. For many years, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. But I also know what it's like to be free. And something was presented to me this weekend. And if, if it would have been presented to me years ago, I wouldn't be here. If it was presented to me in my beginning walk with Christ, I wouldn't be here. It is something that I have wanted and desired my, almost my whole entire life. And this weekend it was presented to me. And I praise God. Because again, beginning of the week I'm studying the tactics of the enemy. The tactics of, of how he twists and, and perverts love. And so when this is offered to me, it wasn't a thought like, oh, well, no, I knew right away. And then I began to, 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 to grieve over the fact that this individual is lost. Is lost. And years ago, I had an opportunity to influence him to deny Christ, to turn from his faith. to embrace everything that he was desiring. And I go, God, aren't you good? As I set out back last yesterday and I was praying and, and, just, and just weeping for the fact that, God, your love is so good. Like nothing and no one in this world could compare to the love that I have and I found in you. The greatest love story ever written is God's love for you. God, hopefully, your love for him. 
Because things are going to be presented to you. All the time. What's your choice going to be? Do you love God? Or are you still loving self? Do you understand? You were born in sin. Each of us. Each of us. We were born in rebellion towards God. I don't want to rebel against Him. I don't want to turn from Him. Not, not after I know Him. Not that I, after I know that I know that I know that I know that the temporalness of this life is not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And that's what I keep telling you over these past months is don't settle for the temporalness of life. Everything that is temporal, everything that you see, everything that you're processing, everything that's going on, it's temporal. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But you weren't created for the temporalness. You were created for the eternal. See, there's so much more to life than just what we see before us. And that's why it's vital that we persevere. Perseverance is important to your Christian life. Trials have to come. It's in the midst of trials that we find great joy. And to the natural mind, that does not make sense. And Lord knows I've learned that over the years. But understand that that's the truth of God's word. Trials come. And within those trials, they can produce great joy. But you must persevere because the Bible tells us that trials come so that we will persevere. Because it's in that perseverance that our character is built. (laughs) And as our character is being built, our hope is being established in Christ. And that hope in Christ will never disappoint us. No matter what comes of the circumstances, the hope in Christ will not disappoint us. And that's what I keep encouraging is don't put your hope in circumstances because it will go any which way. (laughs) But you put your hope in Christ, it's secure. Because he's already won. He's already seated. He's already victorious. And he's returning to gather those who belong to him and usher us into a kingdom for eternity. A kingdom where there be no pain, no sorrow. A kingdom that was the original intent and the purpose for creation. So know your God. I want to give us. I want to give us some scriptures to encourage us to persevere in repentance and understanding what it means truly to live for God. Listen, there's a lot of people just showing up for church. There's a lot of people just naming the name of Christ, but they do not know their God. Again, it's knowing your God. It is allowing your roots to grow down deep. Yes, I love my family. Yes, I love my wife. There's things in your life that you love. There's things in your life that that you identify with that may be pleasing to you, that that may give you that sense of security and hope. But, oh, dear God, that cannot be what you base your identity in. Because all of it's here today and gone tomorrow. No, your hope and your love and your identity is to be based in Christ. If my hope was not based and my identity was not based 
in Christ, but it was based in just my emotions, if it was just based in this or based in that, I wouldn't be here today. Nor would you. See, Christ has to be our all in all. Our all in all, the greatest command. Love the Lord your God. I've said it earlier. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. And you say, really, can that be done? I can tell you, yes, it can. Because the Bible instructs us with this understanding. Like, throughout generations, there's always been a group of people who have, have had this love for God. God's people has, have been in and, in and will continue to be in every generation. And they don't give in. They don't give up. Like, we're in a generation now where you have the ex-evangelical movement. All these so-called Christians who have these platforms all of a sudden, they're not Christians anymore. They want to rewrite the Bible. They want to rewrite what it looks like to be evangelical. They want to, they want to do all this crazy stuff. And they're leading so many people astray. There's so many false teachings. There's so much stuff bombarding the church. <laughs> but the church, the true bride of Christ, will not be led astray. Trust me, you got to prepare each and every single day. And if you don't know how, then connect with us. Connect with me. Begin to learn what it means to live and to walk it out. Again, I don't want you to see your Christian life as a burdensome life. Oh, I can never have any fun. See, when we start making all these excuses, all these reasonings, it's we're trying to base it on ourselves. And we haven't fully seen who he is. Like when Christ steps into your life and he reveals himself to you. Man, there's nothing and no one that can compare to that. Your creator. Again, the one who has formed you. The one who has fashioned you. The one who's placed every hair on your head, the one who has prepared good works for you to do, he's already prepared all of it for you. I mean, could you imagine if we would awaken to truth, the impact that we could have in our community, in our families, at our jobs? When I, when I told you before, your Christian life is not based on you, it's based on others. If you really want to know the, the true tactical meaning of love and how to express love, then just serve. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Love is not boastful. It's not prideful. It doesn't keep records of wrong. I mean, you just look. And yet, so when you see the world screaming love, look at the fruit that's coming from what, it's, what they're saying. But see, when you truly see the fruit of love and what love truly is, it's to serve. And that's why I've always encouraged you. So when you come and we gather, we're not coming just for ourselves. No, we're, we're coming to, to think of others before we think of ourselves. That's love. To really serve others as Christ served. And so go to James chapter 1, verse 2 through 18. Again, the first R, repentance. 
James chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 2 to 18. Scripture reads, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. <laughs> for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and completed, or complete, not needing anything or needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot, rot, the hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those, listen to this, who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward as has i'm sorry afterward has promised i'm sorry after afterward they will receive the crown of life that god has promised to those who love him and remember when you are being tempted do not say god is tempting me god never tempted to do wrong or god has never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else and so please focus on verse 14 Highlight that. Circle this. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights and the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we out of all creation, listen to that, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. Where does sinful, when does sin come from? It comes from the, the desires that are from within. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to give in. But when you give in, sin is birth. And what does sin bring? Death. That's why I keep telling us. Everything our nature is craving, apart from God, when we are acting in our old flesh, and the old man and the old woman, everything it craves leads to death. And yet that's what we're fighting for when we're resisting God. We're fighting for our right just to die. But yet Christ came for us to live. He comes, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And isn't it crazy? We are resisting the one 
and give it in to the other who's out and meant and bent for our destruction. In many years I lived chasing my way, enslaved to everything and anything, chasing after darkness, wanting to be dark, hating Christ, hating Christians, hating church, giving in to everything, my appetite to everything. And nothing good ever came from it. Oh, the peace that can be found in Christ. The hope that can be found in Christ. The certainty that can be found in Christ. I don't know know if it was two years ago, whenever that incident happened, but I thought I was having a heart attack, and I went to the hospital. They started running all this test on me, and then before you know it, my heart stops. I'm out. (laughs) And I told you all, not saying I went to heaven, so don't go tell people Rob said he's gone to heaven. But what I can tell you is, usually when that has happened in my life, when I have that vasovagal incident and I flatline, I went further that time than I ever have before. And to this glorious presence. But I told you all there was so much noise behind me. And I remember as I turned to look back, I woke up, and I had all, I'm going to tell you, I had all these people on top of me, all these doctors and nurses, and I was like, oh, and ever since that day, even when I was, when they uh, put me into the, what it's called, ICU, and there I was for days at ICU, and I kept saying, God, and this is before really the world started getting chaotic. I said, something big is coming to this earth. God, strengthen me. Because if I'm here again, if you didn't take me this time, then strengthen me for what's ahead. And oh, how I pray that be for you all as well. You don't have to get to that point, and I see you to have that prayer. But oh, how I pray that you recognize the signs of the time. There's a lot of clamoring going around. There's a lot of stuff being thrown at you every single day to sidetrack you. But if you can know what it means to remain faithful and to endure, what does that mean for you? If you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, then my encouragement is that you would come to Christ. That you would see it the way in which you are going and the choices that you are making, you're only setting yourself up for for destruction. And you weren't meant for destruction. You were meant to live. And to live a full life. So understand what it means to trust in Him completely. Faith and endurance. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. Turn away from evil and do good. Again, scriptures that I'm giving you that I hope that you would go back through this week, meditate upon. What do they mean? How can you apply them? Pray through them. Seek guidance in relating to them and and, and living them out. It says here, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. 
be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. And remember, he's writing to the church. I have told you throughout the years, the problem that the church and the error that the church has been doing is we're going to the world demanding them to live like us. We give them the Christian life. We demand them to live the Christian life. And they don't even know the king. We're giving them and we're promising them the, the, the kingdom before we even introduce the king. We give them kingdom concepts, and yet they don't know the king. We demand of them to live, and they don't know the king. And that's why I always tell you all, preach the gospel to yourself first. Live it out. Because then as you're living it, as you're going, it just doesn't have to be your words that they see. It'll be the fruit in your life that then begins to really reflect the words of what you're saying. Because a lot of people are saying a lot, but they don't have no fruit in their life. And so people are turned off from Christ because you are a reflection of Christ. So how are people seeing Christ in you? Oh, it's so vital. So he's writing to the church here. And he's telling them, love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when insult with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do. And he will grant, you, know, he will grant you his blessing. For scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days... Keep your tongue from speaking evil and keep your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Oh, hear that, underline that, circle that. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who who do evil. Peace, you all. I keep sharing this with you. Peace, meaning nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus says, peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. It's a wholeness. It's a wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. You can choose to get up and live in your brokenness. That is your right. That is your choice. But as a Christian, I'm encouraging you, stop making those choices. Choose peace. Live out of wholeness. But you say, I have all these issues. Okay, okay, okay. But your eyes are still on you. Look to Christ. He's whole. There's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. I'm telling you. I know what it's like to be scattered, to be anxious, to be paralyzed, to give in to everything, to live out of my wounds and my brokenness, to hold on to unforgiveness, to look at my past and see all the chaos and the hurt and the abuse, to see my past where, where I determined that I was going to make it no matter how I had to get there, being driven by this nature that controlled me, and I saw no way out of it. And then being told all through it how much God hated me. 
God hates you. God hates you. That's, that's all I heard from a young child. God hates you. You're going to hell. God hates you. So I determined in and of my heart, I hate God. And you see the vicious cycle we find ourselves in? And then somehow we blame God. Somehow we blame God. And that's what I keep telling you. There's no error in God. You have to know your God to truly understand the fullness of who He is. And why He has to turn His face away from evil. Listen to what Scripture says there. And there's a way in which you can do it, but not in your your own strength. And that's why Paul tells the church, why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you received in the Spirit? It can't be done. Like, this is a spiritual life, you all. It's a totally transformed life. It's a life that is pursuing someone greater. Your creator. The one who is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. And so it can be lived. And we're in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of a war. And each and every single day, your Christian life is not just about you. Yes, you need to prep up, you need to dress up, you need to get up, and you need to keep moving on and keep pressing on. But while you're getting up and pressing on, you better be hope to God you're trying to reach for others to come along with you, that you're sharing your faith, you're living your faith, you're encouraged in your faith, you're encouraging others, you're loving others, you're serving others as you're loving and you're serving Christ. Just to show up. So many people, all they know of their Christian life is church. But just go to church. Say a little prayer here. Post something there. You know, some people know the Bible left and front, back, left, right, every which way. They can quote this, this, and that, and yet they don't know God. And we see it all through Scripture. God is exposing the religious people, the religious mindset. Jesus himself. Who attacked Jesus the most? Religious people, the religious men, those leading, quote-unquote, the church of their day. And what did Jesus call them? Sons of the devil. You travel far to win many converts, but you make them twice as much the hell, twice as much the son of hell as you are. Oh, we've got to be mindful That's why you can't just be led astray. You can't just be going with every form of teaching that is presented. It's got to be in the Word. And just don't take stuff because I say, no, get in the Word. Get in the Word. Know your God. There's no error found in Him. And if He calls us to live a certain way, if He's raised up a standard, then He is going to give us what we need in order to live it out. Go to 2 Peter, verse 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. Oh, listen to this. By His divine power. Whose power? His divine power. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We are without excuse. 
We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great, look at this, precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature, and listen to this, and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So in view of all of this, in view of everything you just heard, Christian, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Are you making every effort every day? You ought to be. (laughs) Supplement or add to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with a brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more, listen to that, you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the, listen to that, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this is the hope that the believer has. The day in which we are united with our Lord. Listen to what scripture is saying about growing in faith and how vital it is to your life. God can't encourage y'all enough. I can't live it out for you. You have to choose each and every single day. The Bible says that life and death are set before us. And then it encourages us, choose life. Choose life. Remember, in Genesis, it says sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to master you, but you must master it. See, the crazy thing is is that we're wrong. We're, we're, We're angry at the wrong entity. We're angry at God. That's not where your anger should be. Your anger should be on the enemy. Your anger should be on the culture, the world. Your anger should be, your reflection of anger should be to the flesh. The issue is not God. The issue is the three things that are exposed in his holy word that keeps us from him. And Lord knows... I don't know if you've wrestled with your flesh. And I told you over and over, if you're not contending with it, it'll contend with you. The Bible tells us that we have been crucified with Christ. And our interest in the world is no more. And the world's interest in us is no more. We're told that we have an enemy And yet, if you hear all of this, or if it's your first time and you're hearing it today, what are you going to do with what you're hearing? When again, God is is pleased to reveal himself to each and every single one of us today through his son Jesus. Drawing us to himself. 
He's saying, I know my, I have a plan for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I know what it's like to be angry at God, to hate God, to, to throw your fist up at Him. But I also know that after I've learned of Him, oh, I, I can't do that. Because <laughs> there's no error in Him. Again, when you know Him and you see His excellence and you see His holiness and you see Him for truly who He is, like I'm telling you all, nothing and no one can compare to Him. Nothing and no one. Consider the cost, He says. Does it cost you? Does your Christian life cost you something? Because it ought to. Again, the call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow him. And in that denial and in that following, it's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. If all I did was walk around in shame with my head down, you know, oh, my poor life now that I'm a Christian. Oh, you know, and humdrum. I mean, people would be like, what on earth? Why would you choose that? Why would you choose him if that's what your life is? So when you're able to really stand upright, you know you're God. You know you love him. He loves you. You know that when things are presented to you or people challenge you, like you're secure in Christ. My security is not found because Rob does things right. My security is found that Christ did everything right. That's where my security comes from. That's where your security ought to come from. And I remember going through a lesson years ago about the mind. And the battlefield is the mind. And I know how my mind was. And all the lies that I believed for so long. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you it, it, it's a cakewalk. It's the fight of your life. But it's not done in your own strength. See, in the natural setting, that's what you would think. It's in my strength. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, this, and you make all these. But in the spirit realm, Rob, just die to yourself. Jesus, really? Let it go. Trust me. I don't see you, God. I feel like I'm just wandering. I'm just aimlessly lost. Keep moving forward. I mean, I've told you before, if you read my journals in the beginning, Walk with Christ, you would be like, who is this guy? He's crazy. I didn't know why I was journaling. I never journaled before. I hate to write. But all of a sudden, I started journaling each day. And you would see just the warfare that this guy who knew nothing about God was going through. And the chaos. Because I had to expose what was going on in here that held me. But I also knew the ways of the enemy. I was involved with the occult. I understood the spiritual realm. So I knew that there was a battle taking place. But ultimately knew that God had already won through Christ. 
And even though my circumstances were rough, and even though each day was harder and harder and harder, I can look back now, and the times I used to curse and hate those seasons, I can look back now and I can be like, oh God, thank you. Thank you that I didn't give up. That you were there all along with me, encouraging me to keep moving. So if you're stuck today in your life, I want to encourage you today, just get up and go forward. Each day. Each day. It's day by day. It's moment by moment. It's learning to to trade the lies with the truth. It's daily application to say, you do not and will not drag me to destruction. It's not just telling the enemy that. It's just not telling the world that. But it's the days and the hours I stood in the mirror, mirror and I told myself that. You're not in control any longer. No matter how much you're stirring up within me, I will not be led to destruction because of your desires and because of your wants and because of your pains and because of your hurts. I won't do it anymore. You see, the Christian life is to be lived, you all. It's a life. It's just not a religion. It's just not another religion. There's so many religions out there. Again, that's the tactic of the evil one. And every religion that is out there, go search it for yourself. I've been involved with many of them. (laughs) And they all have evidence of biblical truth as their foundation. It's just perverted. It's just twisted to keep people enslaved. But oh, when you know truth, it sets you free. Go to 2 Peter 3. Again, this will be the last scripture to encourage you to keep persevering, to understand what it means to live a repentant life. When you repent, it's not about, oh God, oh I'm sorry, oh I'm shameful. Oh. No, don't make it about you. <laughs> Don't let it be worldly repentance that only leads to death. No, it needs to be a real sorrow. <laughs> it needs to be like, oh God, why, did I, why am I here again? Or, oh God, why did I speak that? Or, oh God, why am I still allowing that to rule me? Like, oh God. And in that sorrow, in that, oh, repent, I'm sorry. <laughs> and get up. <laughs> And move forward. He forgives you. He forgives you. You don't want to pay, play the repentance game, though. Like, oops, I'm sorry. And get them killed. Oops, I'm sorry. Because your heart's not right. So you know if it's a genuine repentance when your heart goes, ugh. God, I don't want to grieve you. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me. See, we have not because we haven't asked him. If you're lacking things in your Christian life, just ask. God, I need to learn how to love. God, I need wisdom. God, I need you to help me tame my tongue. God, I need your help with these thoughts that are running rampant. God, I need your help just to learn how to serve. God, I need your help not just to think about me all the time. God, help me. Help me. Help me. Whatever you need, ask. Because if you're a Christian, you've, you've received Christ, you are born of a new nature, you have 
The Holy Spirit inside you, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. The Bible says that you are to walk in step with the Spirit habitually so that you would not give in to the desires of the flesh. He is to lead you. He is to guide you. He will not neglect the work of His hands. And there's been many times in my anxious moments, in in my chaotic days, and in my life, that's what I've had to remind myself. But not only to remind me, I reminded Him. Like, God, I just thank You that You would not neglect the work of Your hands. And I'm the work of Your hands. I didn't start this in me. You did. And You are faithful to complete it. So I'm not going to be focused on my circumstances or the war that's happening in my mind. No, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up. Because what my eyes are fixed upon is what will lead me. And if my eyes are fixed on just the temporal, then that's how I'll live. With a temporal mindset. And I'm telling you all, it's not even worth it. Been there, done that. And it's presented every day to us. But when you know that greater sea that is in you, when you know that you are not meant for this world, (laughs) that this world is passing away, you'll live differently because you're trusting in the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 18. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome, look at this, thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. Look at this. Mocking the truth. And following their own, what? Desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And some people will say, I can't follow a God like that. I've told you when you're out talking to people and I'm out on the streets talking to people and I'm having conversations with people who have the wrong mindset that, oh, he's just a bad God. I don't want to believe in a God that will destroy people. How could you believe in a God like that? And my response to them all the time is, how could I not? See, the problem is, is that you're looking at God. There's no error in God. The problem is, is with the created. God is just, and if his character isn't just, then I would not follow him. But he is just, he is right, he is good, he is love. He's God. He turns his face from evil. 
open the book of Revelation? Even at the end, when he has done everything. Now see, understand this. Like God has done everything to reveal himself to mankind. He's not at fault. He has done everything to reveal his love. He has done everything. He has moved in and out of each of our lives to reveal himself and to reveal his love towards us. It is us who say, no, you're not God. It's us who who hold our fist against him. We blame him for everything in life. And all along, he's been the one who's comforted us. He's been the one who has kept us. He's been the one who's provided for us. He's been the one, even when we haven't even called upon him, he's been there. I can look back at the years of my life. I can see him there. But when I was going through it, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. When I was going through abuse, when I was going through the pain, when I was going through all the junk, Oh, there was many times I cried out, where are you, God? But you know what? When I can look back at those times now, he was there. And the comfort of a friend. And the encouragement of this from this person, a stranger. He was there. When I was losing my mind and I got out of my car on the 408 years ago. And I was looking over at I-4. All of a sudden, this woman was behind me. But she turned me towards her. She just hugged me. I ended up just collapsing. She carried me down to the road. And I sat there sobbing. When I looked up, she was gone. He's there for us. He's there every way, in every season, in every moment. It's us. Who say, you're not God. Or why God? And we have all this junk that we hold up against him. (laughs) And yet he's the only one that's been faithful. So when someone asks me, how could you serve a God who would destroy? Because he's just. How could you not serve a God who loves? Who has been there with you through it all and will continue so that at the end of time when you stand before him when he sets his judgment upon you and he says depart from me I don't know you (coughs) he's just people say well how can you serve a God that sends people to hell God doesn't send people to hell people choose hell and he's just to say I will turn you over to what you desired He is just. He is faithful. So when we read Scripture, look at verse 5 again. They deliberately forgot that God. Don't we do that? Because we're so consumed with ourselves, with our circumstances, with our this and our that and our lives. Listen, I told you all, we all have a sad story. And I don't make light of it. Oh God, I know what my sad story is. But we talk more about our sad story than we do his story. I remember what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night. Reliving everything. 
And then reminding myself, Rob, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? I hated to read. I don't like to study. But all I had was the Bible to pick up. <coughs> early morning hours. My mind was racing. And I would tell myself, self, you're not going to keep replaying it. I'm going to tell you his story. And I, and I remember, and I've told you this before, I would get up out of bed and I would open up the Bible. I didn't know what to read. Again, I didn't have Christians around me. I, I wasn't involved with the church. I was just trusting in God. I would get up and just begin to read. And I would read out loud. Because I read a scripture before where it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word. So that's what I did. In that house right across over there, Yvette's home, pacing back and forth in that little room, just reading scripture out loud. God, I need to know you. I know me. <laughs> I know me. I know what I've gone through. I got to know you. I got to know you. Do you know your God? These people deliberately forgot. And look what it says there in verse 7. The present heavens and earth have, are stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Oh, listen to this. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. Oh God, know your God. Listen about His character. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly, as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a, with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away into the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth as he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting, because that's what we're doing, for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and, there, and this will result in their destruction. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. 
then you will not be carried away by the errors of the wicked people and those and, and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. People who are twisting scripture, people who are taking the wisdom that God gave Paul to, to write to the church, to encourage them, twisted as it was then, so it is now. It's all being twisted. And if you don't know your God, you're going to get swept away. You are, your foundation is to be that solid rock. Your foundation is not to be sand. So I don't know where all of you are at with Jesus. But oh, how I pray that you would know him. That you would surrender your life to him. That you would begin to love him with all of your being. That you would be born again of the Spirit, that you would learn what it is to walk with the Spirit, to allow Him to be your teacher, your comforter, and your guide, that you would begin to get up and fruit would come forth from your life, that you would be transformed, that you would let the past be the past, not your present and not your future. Again, I never make light of what we are enduring and what we're going through. I will walk and I will go with you and go with you and go with you and go with you. I cannot take up camp with you. You don't take up a camp. You don't pitch pitch a tent and start a fire and sit. Walk it out. It's the hardest choice to make. Because you're considering the cost to follow him. To deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to go his way. But it's worth it. It's worth it, you all. Know your God. Let's walk through some scriptures before we close here. We're walking through scriptures, some of the old, some of the new, Psalm and Proverbs, and hopes as we're walking through these scriptures, you're getting to know God. The more you know him, the more you'll live for him. So don't take, don't take it for granted, the opportunity that you have to open up scripture, to hear scripture. Even in the Old Testament, you must know the Old Testament. You must see Christ in and through the Old Testament because that's why we have the Old Testament. The New Testament tells us why it's important that we understand the Old Testament. Everything that we see in the Old is pointing to the New the same God as he was then, the same God he is here, and the same God as he always will be. He's not changed. He's God. And so we've picked up in Samuel, the prophet. We, we see the Israelites, and we're learning from the Israelites, because again, the New Testament tells us to learn from them. We see the errors within them, because it's the same errors within us. God called them out as his own. They reject God, but then they'll call upon him when times get tough and he delivers them. He yet again reveals himself to them. And yet again, they stiff arm him and say, no, we want to be like the other nations. 
In fact, we're reading now that the prophet Samuel anointed Saul as their king. And remember, the reason why they wanted their king was because they wanted to be like the other nations. That's what they told the prophet. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. God had already, had, had already planned to give them a king in his time. Because ultimately, the Messiah has to come through David. But the people demanded, and as I told you last week, everything that's done in the flesh, nothing good can come from it. Saul was the king of the flesh. And you'll see that through scripture. You keep asking God, you keep asking God, you keep asking God, and the Bible's very clear. He turns you over to what you want. Okay, you don't want me? I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. Here, have at it. That's why I tell people all the time, you have a right to live however you want. You don't want to follow Jesus? I don't have a beef with you. Live however you want. Embrace the fullness of all your chaos. Embrace the fullness of what this earth has to offer you. Embrace it. Enjoy it. It's your choice. Come on. They didn't want to wait on God. A lot of times we don't want to wait on God and we settle. Watch what you're settling for and whom you're settling for. But finally, Saul started as a humbled king. Things can always start out good, but in the end, the fruit is shown. He did become a very prideful king. He became a very fearful king. And so we pick up today. Well, we saw last week that then Samuel was called. The kingdom has been stripped from Saul. Samuel was called to anoint David, this young shepherd boy, as king. But no one knew it at that time. He was just anointed. But here we go. Chapter 17. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Succoth and Judah and Asca and Erephus Danim. Saul countered, listen to this, by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And again, we see the Philistines. We've read about them before. They already had a war with them. But yet now they're facing them again. And remember King Saul's son, Jonathan, who did not respect his father, but he respected God. And he went up with his armor bearer and God delivered them a couple chapters before from the Philistines. But yet here we are again with the Philistines opposing the Israelites. And so what does Saul do? He counters by gathering his Israelite, the, his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistines' ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed, weighed 125 Pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, 
tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine, Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, oh God, listen to this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Do you find yourself today terrified and deeply shaken? If so, you're allowing the enemy to roar. Know his tactics so you can begin to know your champion, Jesus. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadad, and Shimah had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest Son, David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon, the Israelite and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David, oh God, heard him shout, his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed, listen to this, to defy the armies of the living God? Not the armies of Saul, but David knew that the armies belong to God, the living God. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the man, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done? 
David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over here to some others and asked the same, I'm sorry, he walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. There's a lot going on here. But David's interest is peaked now because he's hearing this Philistine run his mouth about the armies of the living God. He's watching how the army of the Israelites, of the living God, is terrorized and running away in fear. So don't worry about the Philistine, he says, verse 32. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he has been a man of war since youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb with its mouth. Now I want you to stop here. I don't know how many of you have ever heard the story of David and Goliath. But probably when you've heard it, it's spun around for, for you to take courage that somehow you're David. Go face that giant. You're not David. I'm not David. Jesus is David. Jesus takes care of his father's sheep, those that belong to his father. And when the enemy is taking the sheep, Jesus goes after them. Goliath is, is, is cursing the, 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 the Israelite army that belongs to the living God. Just as the enemy today curses the church, curses the people of God, and it's not up to you to defend the church, Jesus defends his church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus protects his church. Years ago, I was corrected. Years ago, I want to be like David. I want to be like Jesus. I want to trust him. I want to serve him. I want to trust the fact that he's caring for the people of God. I love the fact when Ephesians tells us to dress for battle, but after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. And stand there for them. Oh, he'll call us to the battle line, but the battle's not ours, it's his. Too many of us are exhausting ourselves in the battle. When we ought to be settled and standing firm in it. Because it belongs to him. David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of a lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul gave David his own armor and a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth, smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then he armed, I'm sorry, then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead, then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and like whole and, and, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not by the sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. And if you remember back in Genesis, when God laid out the understanding to the serpent, there's going to come one that's going to crush your head. It was prophesied then about Jesus. We see yet Christ in the scripture that we're reading today This upcoming victory of the enemy being defeated. David's foot on the neck of Goliath. Removing it. There is victory, you all. God is not one that is pushed around or defeated in any way. No matter what their circumstances may look like, these men were in fear because they didn't know their God. But one man came who knew the God of Israel who trusted in the God of Israel to bring about the victory? Are you trusting in Christ to bring the victory in your life? When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? 
I really don't know, Abner declared. Well, find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. After David had finished taking, talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond, an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact uh, by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And that's where we're going to end today. And as you understand what just took place with Jonathan... Jonathan, by doing this, relinquished his right to the throne. Understand that. He hadn't been told yet that David was the anointed one for king. But Jonathan recognized something in David. And by honoring David, Jonathan, Jonathan gave up his position to the throne. Jonathan was to be the next king. If you understand how, you know... He, he was the king's son. He would have been the one. And you say, well, what's the big deal about understanding that? Get off the throne, you all. And let Jesus on it. Give him your life, your heart, your pain, your sorrow, your past, your wounds. Lay it all down. Get off the throne. You're going to make a mess of it. As Jonathan knew, he would have made a mess of it. Trust God. Understand again who He is and what He's called us to. Go to John chapter 8, verse 21 through 30. John chapter 8, verse 21 through 30. Later Jesus said to them, Again, I'm going away. You will search for me, but you will die in your sin. You cannot come where I'm going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot come where I'm going. And then Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They demanded. And Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. God, I love Jesus, you all. Please see him for who he is. He's not this wispy man who's just handing out hugs and muffins. He's just not this weak, pathetic guy. No, he's God, you all. He, he, he speaks an authority that people have never heard before. And he's speaking with direct authority to these religious people. The one, he says, I've always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and, your, and, and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He, is not, he has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. And look at this good news, verse 30. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. 
Are you believing in him, you all? Have you made that confession? Do you have that belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead? It's as simple as that. You're born again. If that is your confession, if that is your belief, that alters your life. That changes your life. Because from that moment, everything, every decision you make is based on that truth. Because now you're born again. What does it mean for him to be the Son of God? And what does it mean for him to have risen from the dead? You see, if you can't, if you can't answer that, then you need to be able to answer that. Because that truly then will become your belief and your confession. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Repent. And again, repentance is turning from. It's not just saying, oops, I'm sorry, and keep going back. No, it's uh, turning from and going in a complete different opposite direction. It's calling upon Him, being saved. It's being baptized. It's being discipled. Allowing your roots to grow down deep in Him. Because again, you're listening to either Christ or you're listening to the enemy. And I pray, God, that you would not continue to live by the flesh and in rebellion towards the living God, who again is pleased to reveal Himself to you through his son Jesus, who has been loving you since the moment that you, you took your first breath, who, was, who loved you even before then as he was creating you and forming you and preparing good works for you to do. Or you can just show up when you want for church and do your religious duties and just that that be all that it is. But how sad because you're missing out. You're missing out on the kingdom. You don't have to wait to be ushered into eternity, you can experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord here and now. Even in the midst of the craziness that is going on. Go to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. All he does is just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy and awe-inspiring name he has Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Oh, that you would know your God. That you would trust your God. But above all, that you would love your God. Go to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 11. Just one nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 15, verse 11. 
And again, before I read this, I just want to remind us. I'm so moved by people who really live out their lives in Christ. They understand what it means to, to consider the cost. We need to wake up in the West. When you look overseas and you see what our brothers and sisters are going through, when they bow their knee to Christ, they know what they just did. They will lose family. They will lose businesses. They will lose status. They will be chased out of their village. They will be beat. They will be raped. They will be tortured. And if they won't, they'll drag their families out and do it until they tell them, deny Christ and we stop. In the natural sense, you would deny Christ. But with the understanding of truly who Christ is, you wouldn't deny him. You understand that that is what comes from following Christ. You say, then why would I honor and seek and claim Christ? Why would you not? Why would you just go the ways of the world that is in defiance to him? These believers, they understand they've already died to themselves. This world is not their home. I've always told you, understand that there's brothers and sisters who got up today to go to church. Husband, wives, children. And they had to have the conversation before they've left. You've heard me say it before, you can probably quote it. We may not make it back home today. They may take me and beat me. They may take you and beat you. They may do this horrible stuff to us, but don't deny Christ. Don't deny Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. In fact, a few weeks ago, I read the testimony of the pastor who looked at his wife and told her, I may not make it back, but trust in Christ. Honor Christ. He steps out and he was brutally murdered because he shares Christ. I keep making, uh, I keep giving us this picture, trying to make a, a picture for us to understand why, again, would governments, with, would rulers, would people in communities want to drive out Christians? In the natural, it wouldn't make sense. That you would drive out a group of people who are hard workers, who honor authority, whose lives have been radically changed, who, who build up the community, who give to the community, who serve, who, who live peacefully lives. I mean, if you really look at how a Christian should be described, are you living that way? We're to be peaceful peaceful people. We're not to be busybodies. We're not to just be carrying on, running them up. There's a way in which we're called to live. And yet we're hated. In fact, we're so much hated now, we're being blamed for all the chaos going on in the world. If that doesn't open your eyes to see the spiritual battle that's taking place and everything that this living word has said would come, why? Because of Jesus. They hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. This world hates Jesus. The created hates Jesus. They don't want to return to the creator. In fact, in Revelations, we see at the end, they hold up their fist still and say, you're not God. 
Oh, how I hope you don't hate Jesus, you all. How I hope that you're not placing all the blame of your life on him. He's the only solution for your life. He's the only one that will ever love you. No other man or woman can love you like Jesus. He's the only one that can bring wholeness and peace to a troubled heart and a troubled mind. He's the only one that can restore all that has been broken. Jesus, you all. Jesus. Oh, that we would have faith like our brothers and sisters overseas. That we wouldn't just be flippant about coming together as a fellowship. That we wouldn't be flippant about having the word of God open for us. That we wouldn't just make our Christian duty about us. Look how good I am or look how bad I did today. No, we just keep it about Jesus, you all. That we just don't go to church just to get a little pep talk or, you know, preach me something that's good for me. I don't want you to keep going on with the word. I don't want to. Uh, no, no, you can't make it about you. It's about him. Do you know him? Proverbs 15 verse 11 says, Even death and destruction hold no secrets from the Lord. So how much more does he know the human heart. And I'm going to leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon about this verse. I would endeavor to set before you God, the all-seeing one, and press upon your solemn consideration the tremendous fact that in all of our acts, in all of our ways, and in all of our thoughts, we are continually under his, his observing eyes. God sees all. He knows exactly where you're at, you all. And listen, he's not stiff-arming you. He's not berating you. He's saying, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are broken, abused, and I will restore. Come to me, the very essence of love, because I am love. This is what he's saying. You searching out there for all of that to complete you, nothing can complete you. Only I can. You were created for him. You were created by him. And oh, how I pray that you know him. I'm going to close this with this last song, and I'm going to close this in prayer.